Well, good morning. Uh, how many of you this past week didn't go as planned? Any interruptions this week? Okay, quite a few. Uh, for us, it certainly did not go the way we had planned. On uh, Wednesday, I was supposed to fly out to Denver uh, to train a group of church planners, but that didn't happen. I canceled the flights on Tuesday. On Thursday, uh, Christina and I were supposed to interview our first guest on our podcast together, but that didn't happen either. Canceled that. Uh, and this week, I was supposed to get back to the gym after finally fighting off the stomach bug. Uh, but as you might have guessed already, that didn't happen either. And, and that last point, I didn't really mind not going to the gym anyway. So <laughs> it's always a fight. Uh, so I guess you could say that this week was a week full of interruptions. Well, on Tuesday morning, while I was getting ready for work, I gave Makarios, my son, a great big hug. And I said, oh, how are you doing, my big boy? And I, and I squeezed him and I encouraged him. And immediately he pushed back and he said, I don't want to be a big boy. I'm not a big boy. I'm not a big boy. I was like, whoa, like who woke up on the wrong side of the bed? Uh, so I was like, oh, okay, uh, whatever, you know, I'll just get ready. And then during breakfast time, he usually comes down and, and joins us and, um, and, and sits at the table. But he just went into the living room and, and put his head on the ground and just lied there and he was moping. And I was like, wow, man, this kid needs to get a little bit more sleep. So uh, I just went to work and uh, just thought everything was going to be okay, that he just needed a little bit more rest. And then Christina calls me up and she's like, you know, there's, there's a big bump behind his left ear. Did he fall? Did he hit his head? And I was like, no, I, I mean, I don't, I don't remember seeing that ever happen. So she was like, well, I don't, I don't know if it's a bug bite or if it's this or that. So I'm going to take him to the doctors. So she took him to the doctors. And then when she was at the doctors, the doctor was like, you need to take him to the hospital like right now. And she's like, you mean like I can go home and take him to the hospital like later? And she, they're like, no, 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 you got to take him to the hospital like right now. He needs to get a CT scan. And that, uh, that just threw us for a huge loop. From Tuesday to Thursday, we were in the hospital. Makarios uh, ended up not having as serious of a thing as the doctor initially thought, praise God. Um, but, but he did have an infected lymph node that he had to get treated with antibiotics, and he was discharged on Thursday. He's been recovering. If you see him in the hallway uh, after the service, you'll see he, he feels normal. You know, he kind of, he's, he's his normal little self, uh, but he has this um, big kind of bump from the, the, the lymph node behind his ear that he's still uh, recovering from. So thank you for all of you who helped and, and prayed for us during the week. It, it meant a lot for us. Uh, but I guess after that story, I mean, you could, I'm sure you could agree with me that we were interrupted, right? Now, when's the last time you were interrupted? Maybe it was this week. Maybe it was at the grocery store. You ran into an old friend uh, and, you, and you caught up. Or maybe you ran into your arch nemesis uh, <laughs> and you had to turn on your southern charm. Uh, <laughs> and just be super nice in front of their face, right? Uh, uh, maybe, maybe you're interrupted this week with a car issue. You were stranded on, on the side of the road, or, or maybe it was something that uh, involved a hospital. When you went through that interruption this week, how did you react? Right? How did you work through that interaction? Were you annoyed that you were going to have to change your plans? Did you blame yourself? Uh, were you angry, frustrated that somehow maybe you didn't do enough to prevent it? Do you maybe blame yourself? I mean, interruptions are the stuff of life, aren't they? 
I mean, interruptions, when you think about it, are a part of what makes us human because what animal plans out their day and life? I mean, just think about a panda for a second. I mean, think about what, what do you think is going on through the mind of this panda right now? Hmm, what should I do today? Should I eat? Should I sleep? Oh, maybe I'll roll around. So he grabs a piece of bamboo and he starts chewing it. And he's like, maybe I should check my panda phone to see what appointments I have to do. Oh, I'm done my bamboo. I should grab another one. Oh, I'm going to sleep. Anyway, I mean, think about it. Like what? Like what goes on in the mind of a panda? While he's eating, he's probably thinking about what he's going to eat next. I mean, the only reason interruptions feel like interruptions is because we have a set way of doing something. And when something changes on us, that's when it feels like an interruption. I mean, just imagine how all of Israel must have felt when Jesus began his public ministry. When Jesus met his disciples and asked them to follow him, their lives were interrupted. Even leaving boats and entire careers worth of supplies behind to follow Jesus. When Jesus turned the water into wine at a wedding, he not only prevented the party from being interrupted due to the wine running out, but he forever interrupted the lives of the servants who firsthand saw the miracle right there in front of them. When Jesus met the Samaritan woman, not only was her life interrupted, but her village was interrupted. And the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans was interrupted as well. When Jesus healed the sick, the lame, the blind, and the deaf, their lives and those around them were forever interrupted. I mean, mean, think about it. Jesus' interruption in their life caused those individuals to literally learn how to live differently. The formerly blind can now see. Right? The, the formerly deaf can now hear. The formerly lame can now walk. They literally had to change every moment of their day because Jesus' interruption in their life. I mean, if you have your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 9. Or if you have your phones, you can you open up the Bible app. I mean, think about this. If you look at John chapter 9, you would think that a man who was born blind, right? Think about it. If a man who was born blind experienced sight, you would think that everyone would rejoice, right? I mean, you would think that. But let's look at John chapter 9, verse 13, to see uh, this particular account, uh, chapter 9, verse 13. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, hmm, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? Again, there was a division among them. Again, they asked the blind man, right? Again, they asked the blind man, what, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. Well, the Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight. They're like, were you really blind? I don't know. So they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. And then they asked them, okay, wait, wait, wait. is this your son? The, the one you say was born blind, how then does he now see? Come on, what's the, what, what you do? We know this is our son and, and that he was born blind, his parents answered, but we don't know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. 
his parents said these things uh, because they were afraid of the Jews. Um, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time, I mean, think about this. Again, they summoned the man who had been born blind and told him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know is I was blind and now I can see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you again? How did he open your eyes? Can you see how many times? Like, what has just happened is literally, like, if there was a gif, right? It'd be, like, blowing their mind right now what is happening. Like, they just don't understand. They can't comprehend. Uh, and then in verse 27, the guy's like, I already told you, I, he said. I mean, you, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? They ridiculed him. You're the man's disciple. But we're Moses' disciple. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's, where he's from. This is an amazing thing. Nothing about this. This guy, this uneducated man, is now teaching the religious leaders of the day. He says, you don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. But if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied. And are you trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. See this exchange here? The Pharisees were so obsessed with having their ways with not having their ways interrupted, that they found themselves, get this, on the other side of the God that they claim to know and worship. When you think about it, Jesus literally interrupted the entire religious system. He interrupted the priesthood, and he interrupted the way of life for the Israelites and for all of humanity. Perhaps an interruption, the interruptions that are going on in your life right now are, are, are not necessarily from the enemy. Maybe God's trying to get your attention through those interruptions. Maybe God was trying to get the attention of these Pharisees. Knowing, maybe God knowing the Pharisees' hearts, knowing that deep down inside of the scales of religiosity, at one point, the Pharisees actually loved God. That the Pharisees actually had encounters with God that led them down the path. Maybe God is trying to interrupt you today. Think about the time when Jesus went to the temple and that he saw that the entire temple had become a religious place to exchange goods and services. What did Jesus do at the temple? He threw everything out, right? He threw everyone out. I mean, he interrupted the religious system of the day and the religious leaders hated him for it. They hated him for it because he was disrupting the status quo. Jesus was replacing what was with something better. Maybe Jesus wants to replace what was for something better in your life today. He was replacing religious rituals that might earn you acceptance before God for a relationship with God that said you are accepted, now live freely and abundantly. He was basically saying, religious leaders, we don't need you anymore if all you're doing is necessitating your own existence by pointing people to you. What you need to be doing instead is pointing people to God. Now, it's important to understand 
that before Jesus began interrupting everything, one of the major things that the Israelites relied on the priests and religious leaders of the day for was the forgiveness of their sins. That was something that a common person, that every day, that you and I could not have done unless we were a high priest. So as we see in Leviticus chapter 16, there's a scapegoat and there's a high priest. And the scapegoat and the high priest was required for the forgiveness of our sins, or to put it another way, the transference of our sins. So when you look at this image here, it's expected that this animal, this scapegoat, was raised by a suitable man for the sole purpose of one day, right? That goat, one, it was born and raised so that one day all the sins of the people would be transferred upon him all the sins of the nation. So annually on the day of atonement, the high priest would enter the holy of holies to intercede between God and man. And he would, with his two hands on the head of the goat, transfer the sins of the people onto the goat. He would pray intensely, some would say even violently, onto the goat's head, transferring all the transgression of the people onto this blameless goat. And all of this took place behind a veil in the Holy of Holies. Much like Jesus was led into the praetorium to be mocked. Jesus, on Good Friday, was flogged, spit at, he was beaten, and a crown of thrones was placed upon his head, much like the priest's hands were placed on the goat's head. And then the scapegoat, after all of that happens, emerges before the people for public ridicule. And again, much like Jesus, after being, after being beaten and flogged with a crown of thorns on his head, Jesus reappeared to the people, now bloody and bruised, while Pilate pled, I have found no fault in him. This suitable man in Leviticus 16 who raised this goat waited on the other end of a long rope. He had, a, he had a long rope around the scapegoat's neck and he was outside the Holy of Holies and he was waiting. And once this violent and prayerful transferring of sins had commenced, the man would feel a tongue on the rope and he'd begin pulling the scapegoat out until he emerged. The scapegoat then, to everyone that was waiting along, Remember, all of their sins were being placed on the scapegoat. The scapegoat would then be met with sneers and hissing and spitting and prodding and punching in hopes that this, the goat would never come back. Does this sound familiar? When Jesus was on the road to Calvary, he was greeted with shouts of crucify him. People were lining up to sneer at him, hiss him, spit on him, prod him, and punch him along the way. Do you see the parallels between Jesus and the scapegoat? Friends, Jesus is the better scapegoat. What the scapegoat could only do for a year, Jesus did forever. What the scapegoat couldn't finish, Jesus finished because of his death and his resurrection. With all of that said, let's go to John chapter 18. And what I want to do here is, for the next little bit, we're going to read a lot of scripture. And I don't know what you typically do this Easter weekend, 
But typically on Good Friday, I'll read the, I'll, I'll read what happened when Jesus was crucified. I'll read that with my kids. I'll read that, we'll read that together. And then, you know, yesterday on Saturday, the day between, we'll read the scriptures as well. And then today we're reading about the resurrection. And sometimes what we fail to do is we fail to go directly to this love letter that God has written us. This, this word, we, we beg of and we ask God to meet us when we are in need. I mean, when everything's going well, it's going well, right? It's like, I'm self-sufficient. I don't need anyone. I don't need anything. Things are going awesome. The bank account is healthy. The car's running fine. No, no, no issues. I'm doing well here in my relationships. And then when things begin to crumble, and inevitably they crumble, right? Inevitably things happen. We get on our knees and we ask and we beg of God, God, would you do something? Would you meet me? Would you speak to me? Would you rescue me? Would you help me? And Jesus says, hey, I have spoken. And I want to speak to you again and again and again through the word. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to read a large chunk of the word of God. And and I'm reading this because my words can only be so much. My words can only have so much effect, but these are God's words to you. So with, open, with an open heart, with an open mind, let's look at this and see what happened this weekend. John chapter 18, verse 1. After Jesus had said these things, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas took a company of soldiers and and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. And Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to him, Who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. I am he, Jesus told them. Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing with him. When Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Think about that. Through Jesus' words, all he said was, I am he. The power of his words caused him to step back and fall to the ground. Then he asked them again, who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. I told you, I am he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the words he had given. I've not lost one of those you have given me. Well, let's look at verse 12 now. Then the company of soldiers, the commander, and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus and tied him up. First, they led him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Remember the high priest? Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be better for one man to die for the people. Let's then go to verse 28 here. Jesus is now before Pilate in verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they'd be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. And then Pilate and Jesus interacts. And in verse 36, Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. And then we see in verse, in chapter 19, verse 1, right, Pilate, Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. 
just like the scapegoat was flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and clothed them in a purple robe. And they kept coming up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping his face. Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to him, here is the man. Well, when the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Pilate responded, take him and crucify him yourselves. I, since I find no grounds for charging him, we have a law, the Jews replied to him. And according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Well, when Pilate heard the statement, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Well, from that moment, Pilate kept trying to release him. But the Jews shouted, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Well, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's seat in a place called the Stone Pavement, but in Aramaic, Gabbatha. It was a preparation day for the Passover, and it was about noon. Then he told the Jews, Here is your king. They shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Well, Pilate said to him, should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Then he handed him over to be crucified. Well, then they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went out to what is called place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign made and put on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate replied, what I've written, I've written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts apart for each soldier. They also took the tunic, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who gets it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that says, they divided my clothes among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. This is what the soldiers did. Well, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a, a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Since it was the preparation day, the 
Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a special day. They requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken and that their bodies be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who had been crucified with them. When they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows he is telling the truth. For these things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Also, another scripture says they will look at the one they pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took his body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. They took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths with the fragrant spices, according to the burial custom of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden no one had yet been placed in. Well, they placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and she was interrupted. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first then also went in, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary, interrupted, stood outside the tomb, crying. She was crying She stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, Why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you've carried him away, just tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But, I go, but go to my brothers and tell them that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. When it was evening the first day of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. 
So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are 